0: How's it going, Joel? Doing good. Thanks for asking, Justin.
1: Nice. So usually we start these podcasts back in business with this kind of back and forth where we talk about ourselves and we talk about the person we've had a conversation with. Um, So this time, though, I want to take a little bit of a break from that. And why is that? Well, because you're going to be the subject for this conversation. Ah, right. (laughs) So... We'll definitely talk about some of the journey that you have later in the podcast. Uh, but I wanted to touch on a couple of things that we've chatted about a few times, which is this idea about identity and mentorship that you've talked about. So how do we jump into that a little bit?
0: Okay, let's, let's give it a shot.
1: So identity is a real heavy thing. How do you manage your identity of who you are, think you are, and, and actually are?
0: Yeah, that, that's a good question. I guess I would say that I'm not too scared. The only exception, though, is when somebody asks me what kind of work I do, and that's when I really feel like I'm a deer in the headlights.
1: That's interesting. So why do you feel that that's kind of the case?
0: You know, that's a good question. I mentioned in the podcast that I recently moved here to Edmonton, and that move has actually been a great way for me to kind of shake things up and um, get more in touch with how I work and what I do and, and really think about it. Some of the ways that I've been doing that have been actually just going to meetups and social professional events. Mm -hmm. And which is good because it requires a little beer as a lubricant. (laughs) So like a lot of us, I'm naturally an introvert psyching myself up to go and be outgoing. It's not always easy, right? But it's, necessary. That's kind of the way the world is these days. And so as a part of that, when I introduce myself, I'm kind of workshopping, kind of testing out the story that I tell about myself. So mentioning the skills that I have in different ways and try to figure out what resonates most with people.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I mean, some of the challenges, of course, like you say, is putting yourself out there, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, you know, you still have to have a cohesive message on the identity that you have and, and what you're putting out there. So, you know, for you, what's obviously it's, it's networking, getting yourself out there, but is there a bigger goal beyond that?
0: Um, I think networking really is a huge part of it is that I want to make connections. I need to make connections. I have my own consulting business and I of course need clients. But the other thing is that I had a gigantic network back in Seattle and coming to a new place and starting almost completely from scratch it's really daunting
1: oh i definitely get that i i chose to chase love and life off to newfoundland and you know going through that experience of rebuilding your network basically from scratch as you say um there's a heavy lift there you know when you don't have that network to lean on to introduce you to other people totally so you know how has that process been going for you are you making the connections is that coming on as fast as you'd like
0: Um, Actually, it's been great. I've really been throwing myself in there, and people are very open, and they're very welcoming. That said, I do feel like there needs to be a give and take. I can't just go to these things and ask for favor after favor, uh, even sometimes if people offer. So as a result of that, I've decided to start doing some volunteering with some of these tech organizations in town, and i'm working with you of course on this podcast of course yeah and all of that just talking about it introducing myself putting myself out there has really helped to open some doors into what i hope could be a future teaching gig as well as developing some workshops and perhaps some work
1: awesome definitely a big part of that and i think the nice thing about community and networking is that you know people generally want to see you succeed and and you know if if you're authentic about putting yourself out there they're they're often very helpful in, in trying to connect you to the right people, um, as you've kind of touched on. So I know you've got some really great projects that you're kind of percolating with. Um, you know, I, I know it's built early, so I don't want to jump in and steal your thunder there. Um, so why don't we shift and talk some about the mentorship that you've been passionate about?
0: So the mentoring is really important to me and, you know, kind of manifests itself in like the teaching as well as some of the workshops. Yep. But just overall, it's really been about helping me understand who I am as a person, that I really like to help others. And so one of the ways that I came to this was a couple of years ago, I was reading this book. It's called 50 Ways to Get a Job by this guy named Dev Ajla. I think he's from Toronto. And it's kind of like one of those old choose-your-own-adventure books. Those ones are
1: great. I love those books.
0: Yeah, I, I loved reading them too. So you'd go through a section, you'd have your adventure, and then it says, where do you want to go next? And this book did exactly that. So one of the exercises he had was that I should make a timeline of all of the jobs that I've had and write about what I liked and disliked about each one of them, and then I should go process it. The one thing that constantly kept coming back, and it happened with like every single job that I've had, and I've had a lot in my adult life, it's that I really enjoy
1: mentoring. That That's super interesting. So how is this passion for mentorship and this sort of origin story of, of why you've come to mentorship you know, helped you out during your times of struggle.
0: I'll, I'll I'll go back before that and just say that even at jobs that I had, like just my day job, that I really enjoyed doing mentoring with people who worked for me or uh, freelancers, people who were even my peers. Yep. And that was even before I was doing startups, mm. and I took a lot of pride in doing this. But after my startup failures. I started running workshops through this adult technology school on various topics such as business writing and how to use WordPress. Those are just a couple examples. Mm -hmm. A few of those classes, they resulted in new clients. But more important to me was that they created opportunities to meet with students who would reach out and talk about their goals. So I was able to help them look at their careers in different ways. And they always told me that it was really gratifying for them that being able to provide a new frame for their work was a way to remind me that I could look at my own situation differently.
1: Really valuable. Can you give me an example maybe of someone you've helped?
0: Sure. So there was this woman who I met with who was working in, I guess what you would call a concept physical store that Amazon was testing out. Okay. So she was basically at the front door helping people use their mobile apps to gain entry into the store.
1: Sort of like maybe a, a Walmart greeter, but a bit more tech focused?
0: Totally. Exactly. So this person's desire was that she wanted to be a user experience designer at Amazon Mm. in the larger company. Yep. I suggested that she was the best possible person at the company to be doing user research because she was right there on the front lines. So if she could put together some kind of case study because people would have issues with the app, they might have issues with finding products in the store, um, anything like that. She had people who were literally lining up at the front door trying to get in. And these could be her quote-unquote test subjects. All it required was for her to get the results in front of the right person.
1: Right. I think that's one of the biggest pieces with you know startups is, is getting into the the space where you're in the front lines asking questions with your clients, customer discovery, etc. So you know, at the end of the day, did, how did that work with her?
0: I don't know if she actually went through and was able to find the right person to present a test case to. Right. But I do know that she is working as a user experience designer at another large software company. And so, whether she was able to use this different way of thinking to her advantage, she is now doing what she expected and hoped to be doing.
1: That's awesome, and and I think it speaks to that that giving forward as a as a mentorship piece, you know, often picking us up when we're kind of in a bad place, and uh, you know, living vicariously through the the success and and opportunities that others are able to to drive or to achieve, um, you know, through the help that we provide. Totally. So, you know, it definitely sounds like you've been able to take all these experiences and and mentorship pieces and apply it to helping others.
0: Yes, I hope so.
1: (laughs) Don't we all? Don't we all? So why don't we shift gears now and jump into more specific about sort of your journey and, and some of the struggles and failures that you've had on the entrepreneurial path that you've taken?
0: Works for me. 2002 is the year that I was hired to be the editor-in-chief of a small community newspaper out in Seattle where I was living. Yep. And one of the reasons that I was hired there was that I had a history in the tech industry. I had been a not very good web developer. And <laughs> this is this is something I will readily admit that the coding aspect of anything goes over my head, but I had a really good understanding of things like content management systems and how to work with unstructured data. Plus, I had a journalism degree. I was able to understand how to conduct interviews and had that organizational skills where I'm having to assign articles and edit and work with community members. It was a very big job for somebody in their late 20s. Right. Right. Fast forward to, let's say, 2010. So the iPad was announced, it first came out, and I had been thinking about how newspapers were doing in general. This was just after the end of the big recession. My newspaper had almost gone under. There were a good number of newspapers that had gone under or were struggling. The niche of publications that I fit into, which was community newspapers. Um, I had colleagues who grumbled about losing subscribers. There was one person who would talk about the average age of our reader is dead. (laughs) The average reader is dead. That's that's gold. Yeah. I I sure hope that guy's still alive and kicking because he was a great guy. (laughs) I miss you, Bob, if you're out there. Nice. So I was thinking... From sort of a 10,000-foot view perspective, what can we do to make distribution better, especially because we have this new device that you can carry with you that's got access to Wi-Fi with a large form factor? Why don't I try to figure out a way to create an app for the iPad that would enable small or even medium-sized publications to put their content on, white-label it for themselves, and then sell subscriptions.
1: It's nice. So tell me about the product. What kind of questions were you asking as you thought of these things?
0: You're not getting the print version. You're getting a digital version of raw text and images as you want them to look, right. you know, based on the template that you're using for this white-labeled app. So you're kind of getting the look that you want, The you know, your logos, you can have advertising. And that none of that was really being done in the way that I was envisioning it being done. So nobody was thinking about this? How did you get started on it? I came out with a company called Tablature. I spoke to a lot of colleagues who all said they were interested. And this may have been mistake number one in that
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: it's just sort of the confirmation bias thing. Like, everybody thinks it's a cool idea. Everybody looked to me as kind of the quote-unquote tech guy. (laughs) Yep, okay. Okay. Because I kind of had that understanding, and I had been on a journey with my own publication to really bring our publication into the 21st century. And it was the part of our publication that was actually growing.
1: Yeah, definitely. You started to work on it, you clearly designed it, and you had a vision.
0: So I had that. I didn't have a co-founder, it was just me. I have a friend, and I would call him a semi-mentor. Like, we never formalized any more, any mentor relationships, but he was somebody that I would call when I had an idea for a startup or, or some sort of entrepreneurial endeavor and just get his input because he had his own successful startup for a few years that he just sold recently.
1: Those people on our business journeys are so invaluable. What What advice was he able to give?
0: One of the things he told me, you know, there were a lot of things we talked about, but get a co-founder was one of them. Yep. I've listened to his
1: advice since then. Finding the right partners is definitely key. How did you approach that process?
0: When it ended up happening was I spoke to a number of people in Seattle who could have been tech developers, maybe not necessarily a co-founder. It didn't end up finding somebody, so I went overseas. Mm. and worked with developers through one of those many services that gets you developers to make your vision come to fruition. Was that really
1: successful though?
0: Not in the least bit. (laughs) It took close to three years to get my minimum viable product. The time barrier, you know, anytime I wanted to make a little change, it was 24 hours. I would send them an email, they would get it 12 hours later when I'd be asleep, and then they would send it back. So that was challenging, and I ended up going through a few different developers and having to start over at a couple of points. And by the time I finally had my MVP, which was almost... Two and a half, three years later, all of my potential clients
1: had moved on. Well, and, and the industry, as a publishing industry, was going through severe changes very yeah. rapidly during that point. So, three years is a long time to work yes. on that. Long time for anything when you're talking about technology. Yep,
0: there, there were a few companies that had popped up that were kind of doing the same thing. I don't know that any of them really caught on.
1: Mm.
0: I felt like I was in a place where had I had enough funding and and found that technical co-founder and probably done more on the business development and not the product development to get to that point where I would have had something.
1: Right. Did you lament that really heavily? Was that a big part of kind of the fall of and the aftermath was struggling through?
0: It, it was. And I it, yeah, and I felt like in some ways I didn't go out with a bang. I went out with a whimper. Yep. And that I'd had all the money spent. And, you know, people didn't even ask me about it anymore because they were like, oh, I guess it's done. Like, he's not talking about it. But in the meantime, I'm still, like, taking my weekends away from my family. I had two little kids at that point. And I had a job during the day, so it wasn't like I could work on this all the time. So it was tough. Like, I had a very supportive family. My wife was very supportive of this. But I think she also recognized at some point, like, yeah, this isn't going to be happening.
1: One of the interesting things that I think from your story is that you had a family during the whole time. One of the things that people deal with or struggle with most during the fall is, you know, at least beyond the financial piece, which I think all of us struggle with, um, is this effect on the relationships we have and whether it be, you know, partners, whether it be family members, extended, um, even friends, um, you know, there's this heavy effect where we often push those people away or, you know, push them away by time to make space for building this, this vision that we have. Mm -hmm. How did, how did, how did you work through
0: that? I think the hardest part for me, and it's something that I, I don't know that I've fully processed even now is that there were things that I probably should have been doing with my kids that I wasn't doing. And, you know, if like I had to take my son to soccer, then I would take him to soccer. But my head would be in, okay, what do I need to be doing next? What's on my list of stuff to do to get this app done? And my wife was a little frustrated at points. She's like, she would be like, well, you know, we should go and, you know, to the pumpkin patch or the corn maze or, okay, I'm, I'm just thinking fall because it's fall. <laughs> but, you know, or go to the pool or, or something like that, that I wasn't doing and she was doing, despite the fact that she also it needed time for herself. And so I was taking her time from her that she probably needed as well. Yep. And so I think that I I don't think it put a strain on our relationship, but I think it gave. I I think there was some inequity in the way that we were handling our family duties. Yep. And you know, I think I'm still working on making that up several years later.
1: I'm curious a little bit uh, to to go a little deeper on that too, because you know I think one of the things that a lot of A lot of founders have is this internalized emotions of guilt how did how did you kind of personally feel with that like did you feel guilt did you feel all these things about the amount of time that you had and and you needed to push on that
0: i don't know if i thought about it much at the time i'm sure i
1: did because i know
0: i wanted to be spending time with my kids
1: and i think framing our time is a big challenge as a small business owner you know we in our calculations that we make and the equations we have for ROI, we don't always properly include some of the secondary effects and the balance that's needed in the rest of our lives.
0: I don't know if there was any specific point where I was realizing that the amount of time that I was spending on tablature, if the return on that was going to be enough to pay for the cost of time spent with my family, right. you can always make more money.
1: Correct, and I, th- I think that's actually one of the biggest challenges is that when we create our our formulas for you know what is the ROI and what is you know the benefit of this building this company, um, there's other pieces of the part of, of the puzzle that are missing.
0: Oh, okay. totally. Right. And you know, I, I think especially when you're doing this for the first time, you have no idea what you're doing. Like. Ultimately, I became the publisher of the newspaper, and so I had to be running the business as well as doing all the editorial stuff. And this was kind of about the time when I realized that, you know, maybe the the app wasn't going to make it anyway. And so I I kind of just stopped putting effort into it. Mm. And you know, I, I would go to a conference, and and people would be like, "Yeah, whatever," not you know, kind of give it a shrug, and. And so I think at that point I realized like, you know, this isn't a thing and I needed to bring more balance into my life. You know, if we're talking about stages of mourning, I think at that point, I think my my stage of mourning was not being willing to shut off the lights. Of kind of hoping like, oh, maybe I can still make something of this, but I'm, but also not really trying to make something of it, not going out there and trying to sell it and not going out and trying to make it a better product. Cause it, you know, it was a great product for 2010 or 2011. It was a lousy product for 2013.
1: So, you know, you've, you've kind of created the sense of, you know, where things were and and kind of at the rock bottom point for the company. Um, What, what did you do to make sense of it all? Like, how did you kind of rise and how did you, what actions did you take to actually kind of start remedying all the things that you pushed away?
0: I definitely spent more time with my family. Yep which is not one of those things that you say when you get fired from your job, right? <laughs> yeah. But actually a couple of years later, my newspaper shut down. The company that owned us decided to shut us down. And so I actually did have a lot more time with my family and realized that I did like that aspect of independence. And I think that's one of the things that I really took from this. Um, maybe on my way back up was that I still want to try being entrepreneurial and still try doing something where I have something that's my own, mm-hmm. and you know maybe that's a lesson that I haven't completely learned yet, or or just had that realization because I've had other startups fail in that time. Um, the consulting practice that I have, um, I would say, kind of sputtered along until the past year when until it's finally become. Something that could actually be viable. Hmm. I think one of the things that I've always, that I've continued to have a hard time with is still being able to tell my own story.
1: Interesting. Tell me more about that.
0: You know, my my job, the thing that I do as a consultant, as a journalist, is to be a storyteller. And yet, I think one of the things that I still have not been able to to settle upon is my identity.
1: Yeah, identity and personal storytelling is a really hard thing. You know, not only is it closely tied to self-image, of course, but it's also something that not many people actively engage with in defining on their own personal terms.
0: That's one of those things. It is is a thing that my wife tells me is you need to work on that. And so...
1: So what processes and activities have helped you or currently helping you define your story and identity? for me
0: i've actually just moved to alberta recently from seattle and trying to get myself into this community and so it's a thing that i that is actually tangibly important yeah. as i identify myself so that's a thing that i think is a byproduct from this failure is committing to doing something and putting both of my feet into it and st- And really defining what that actually is.
1: So how long did recovery take for you? What was life like for you as as that was happening and how it's been for you as a journey?
0: I did move into another startup after that where I had a partner. Um, We didn't have a technical co-founder, which was probably a huge, not probably, which was a huge problem for us. Um, We were able to get developed an MVP before we ran out of money. And there were definitely some personality issues there between the two of us. Are there some key takeaways you've learned from that experience? One of the things that I took from my co-founder that I think is really important is that in the businesses that he's been a part of or started, he has always put a real emphasis on thinking big.
1: Mm.
0: And it's not just, okay, be a consultant for content to do these little marketing pieces, but how can you move the needle, be a market maker, be the person that people want to come to when they have an issue because they know that you're the one who's going to solve that problem. You bet. So that's a huge takeaway from another failure that in retrospect was probably good that it failed. And the the emotion that I felt from that was mostly relief. But um, good lessons as well. And I think lessons are really one of the most important things that we can bring and pass on to other people as we move forward in our lives, as we do this podcast, yeah. and, and really, you know, in my own career, uh, as somebody who strives to also be a mentor and to share my knowledge and help others become better at what they do.
1: Let's shift gears a bit and and cover off kind of post-failure to... You know, to nowadays and, and see what that journey is, has been for you.
0: So we we finished up September of 2018, and I started looking for nine to five kind of stuff. But what ended up happening was my consulting started to get busy, and I started doing really interesting stuff, like kind of falling back on my journalism skills and reporting skills and interviewing people for podcasts and writing scripted podcasts and doing a lot of product marketing and program marketing, which has gotten really interesting. It's really gotten me more into the artificial intelligence space Mm -hmm. and given me a lot of understanding of AI, which really needs to become a part of my personal storytelling pitch because I know a heck of a lot more than most people do about AI, even if I'm not a data scientist. Correct. I feel like in the past year, and I've kind of reset myself as well, moving my family up to Alberta And, you know, starting to create a new community and becoming involved and starting to volunteer within the tech community here. So I feel like I'm in a good spot now. I'm able to look back on successes and failures and say, this is what I've learned and really contribute that to, for instance, a new podcast series like the one we have here. or. Or with organizations that serve entrepreneurs here and and help with the messaging and the marketing and and trying to make that a more interesting uh, way to bring people into that environment.
1: Yeah, I definitely echo that. The mentorship piece and the giving back is has definitely been a big part of, of my journey back to getting better and, and being back in business, as they say. Why don't we put a pin in it there and we'll, we'll wrap up because I think uh, we've only scratched the surface today and I know our, our future conversations are going to go a lot, a lot deeper than that.
0: In conclusion, it's not going to be the two of us talking every week. What we want to be doing is talking to people who have been in this place as well, talk about their stories, talk about their successes, talk about their failures and how they came back. We want to talk to people who are experts in the field, who work with entrepreneurs to maybe talk about ways to avoid failure or ways to deal with failure and bring them back to where they feel is a point of equilibrium so that they can move on with their lives. And you know, maybe it is getting that nine-to-five job or maybe it's starting something new, but getting them from that place of anxiety and depression and fear – to some place where they can know that they can be successful. And even if they have to fake it till they make it, that they know that they have the power to do that based on experience and strength.
1: I'm very excited for that.
0: And so this is our call to action to you, dear listener, that if you, or if you know somebody who has been through this, get them in touch with us. If you're somebody who can provide some of these resources, we'd like to find out about it and we can feature you or we can put you onto our website.
1: As a final comment, This podcast is for you and in support of your journey as a listener. So let us know what things you're working through so that we can share stories and resources that will help us all get back to who we know we can be faster and stronger. Thanks for your attention today. We wouldn't be here without you. Let's all help each other get back in business. Back in Business is executive produced by the two of us, Justin Bertignoli and Joel McGalnick. Music theme by Purple Planet Music. Want to be featured on Back in Business? Email us at story at backinbusiness.io. Find resources, assistance, or just someone to lean on by visiting us at backinbusiness.io. Thanks for being part of our journey back.